Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No. These are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't seen already, we have a brand new website and we'd love for you to check it out. It's full of links and texts and images if you're a fan of that kind of thing. And also if you want to check out our other podcasts like Horror Hangout and Miscreation or our line of books or comics, then it's all over at hawkandcleaver.com. And you can grab yourself a new Horror Hangout t-shirt or a new The Other Stories t-shirt. Once again, that's www.hawkandcleaver.com. Today's episode is A Hand in Inheritance. Written by Nick Egan and narrated by Persephone Rose. Even the most noble families have skeletons in their closets. Mr. Jackson Moss had been 98 when the emphysema finally took him. I had known the man for my entire life, and to watch him deteriorate before my eyes was no easy feat. He had been one of the richest men in all of Louisiana and one of the kindest. I always thought maybe heaven was rewarding him intentionally for his goodness, considering how fortunate he appeared to be. The whole family was shrouded in success, all of his children and grandchildren, his wife. I don't know which was worse, watching his body wither or his mind. I spent his last few weeks frequently at his bedside as we went over his estate. It was hard to see him as frail and gaunt as he was, 
bedridden and plagued with a wet, hacking cough that frequently produced a dark green splatter of mucus on his blankets, which he apologized for profusely when he noticed. He had been missing his left hand for as long as I knew him, but I barely paid mind to it until those last days. I assumed it had something to do with his mental state, but he rubbed the knob where his wrist once was excessively, especially when we spoke. It was hard not to watch, and maintaining a professional demeanor with him as he began to become more paranoid took a toll on me. By the time he gave me the chest, he was so far gone it was almost a relief when he breathed his last. He obsessed over the box that required a key to open, and the envelope he gave me with it that was wax-sealed with his family's crest. He never mentioned concern for what happened to his plantation when he passed, but that box might as well have been his entire fortune. You have to make sure you follow what I've written, Morgan, he wheezed. I assured him that I would, and I wouldn't open either items until the reading of his will, but he asked and asked and asked every time I saw him. His funeral was held on the property he loved, and he was buried in the family's mausoleum like his father had been. It was at the mausoleum, a few days later, that I found myself standing with his three sons, three daughters, and his widow. His will had been extremely specific about where the reading would be held, in the cemetery on the property where he was buried. I might have found this strange if it weren't for his behavior right before his death. He made quite a few changes to his last will and testament in the weeks preceding. The Spanish moss hung over us on the bright pink rose bushes throughout the tombs like the hair of old gypsies from the oak trees. The family was quiet as I approached, the gavel beneath my feet crunching with every step as I held the chest in one arm and my briefcase in the other. The familiar faces were heavier than I had ever seen them, and the oldest of the boys, John, appeared to be sweating profusely. They had a bottle of whiskey with glasses placed on a card table that had been brought out, and Jackson's widow, Lita, offered me a glass as I approached. If I had known what I was about to have to do, I probably would have accepted the glass. I probably would have drunk the whole fucking bottle. We stood in something like a circle around the little card table as I placed the box and my case down gingerly. Mr. Moss's instructions had been clear. The will was to be gone through before either the envelope or the chest were opened. I had been stifling my curiosity about the items since he'd given them to me. I now felt a rush of anticipation as I read aloud the last wishes of this once great man, and his family listened attentively with eyes like dolls fixed on me. There was a dread in the air I couldn't place, and I chalked it up to grief in the back of my mind as I went on. The closer we got to the end of the will the more anxious John Moss appeared to get. His wife was holding on to him tightly as I finished the last words, putting the document down and reaching for the wax-sealed envelope. The faces seemed to grow graver, and John appeared as if he might run, and my stomach fell with the weight of my obvious lack of understanding of the situation. The envelope opened easily enough, and a small iron key fell into my hands from it. The letter inside was concise, brief, I read it over once in my mind, then again, then a third time. It couldn't be right. I looked up with my mouth gaped and the blood draining from my face. 
my eyes studying the now horrified faces of the party. Who is it? Lita asked, clutching the arm of her youngest daughter. John was almost shaking now. This... this can't be serious, I breathed, clumsily moving towards the chest with a small key. Who is it? My head was spinning too fast to answer her as I fumbled to open the chest. Oh, oh my god. Morgan, who is it? John yelped, and I removed from the box a glass jar full of some murky liquid. A jar with a left hand in it, still wearing a wedding band. What the fuck? I jumped, nearly dropping the thing. John came over, grabbing the letter and tearing at it with his eyes. It's me. You knew it would be. You're the oldest, Lita soothed, placing a hand on her son's back. We aren't seriously going to do this, I gasped, taking the paper from him and reading it once more, hands shaking. We have to, Lita murmured, reaching towards the chest. She pulled a steel knife from it with a serrated edge, extending the handle to me. Fuck no, I stepped back, watching as John rubbed his left hand, shaking. Don't ask one of his brothers to do this to him, Lita pleaded, and I looked over all of them completely dumbfounded. It felt like eternity had passed before John, with a deep breath, took the jar from my hand. John, you aren't. Morgan, please, Lita sighed. John opened the jar, the putrid smell piercing through the cool air. He reached in, removing his father's hand, the sliminess of it visible. His wife, Sarah, clung to him as he put one of the preserved fingers in his mouth biting down with a crunch that made my stomach flip, and I turned away, hearing every gag and unspeakable noise he made as he finished it. His family surrounded him, offering words of encouragement, and when he was finished, Lita once again offered me the knife. "'Why are you doing this?' I asked, trying to find reason in her sweet old face, or insanity, or anything that explained what was happening." It's a small price to pay for all we have, she sighed, and all of her children let out a chorus of amens behind her words. Morgan, your father was there when Jackson paid his due, and for generations your family has been our lawyers. They've overseen this since the very beginning of it. I tried to wrap my mind around what she was saying. My father's words, it's a pain when one of them dies, echoing in my mind. He never said, Of course not. This ritual is sacred. John was walking towards the mausoleum now, his steps heavy. He peeled the door open, turning back to all of us, his face hollower than I had ever seen a man's get. His brothers followed him one by one, as did the rest of us. I felt like I had woken up in a nightmare, and I am not sure what kept me from taking off. John walked towards his father's casket, trembling as he placed his left hand on it, his wedding band gleaming in the sunlight peeking in through a small window as he shook violently, his hand making a tap, tap, tap on the casket. I held the knife in my hand, the blade stained in a dark, rusty color. I glanced from it to him, and he gave me a weak nod. "'It's my job,' he muttered. "'My birthright.' "'Shouldn't there at least be a doctor here?' I pleaded, and John winced, looking like he was fighting the urge to vomit. Lita brought me the bottle of whiskey, 
Then I took a long gulp before handing it over to John, who nearly drank the rest of it. What little was left he poured over his wrist, looking at me with wet eyes. I don't have an explanation for why I did what I did that day. I supposed I felt like I had to, some fucked up sense of duty. I had never heard a human scream in such pain. I had never heard anything scream that way. The metallic scent stung my nostrils as the rest of the family held him still and sawed at the place I had been told to cut like I was trying to cut through a piece of meat on a butcher's block. The bones were the worst part. John writhed in agony as I did the best I could to hurry the sick ordeal along. Lita was reading from some book as this went on, and besides that, my gags and grunts and John's laments, the room was silent. Just us and the horrid sounds coming from the knife in his flesh. Like a sick trance had taken over. We all just went along. When it was finally over, I dropped the blade and rushed for the door, puking immediately. My hands were red, and my black suit felt sticky, and I wanted nothing more than to strip. Lita emerged, the jar in her hands, now with John's hand in the place his father's had been. She placed it in the chest, closed it once more. Thank you, Morgan, she murmured, wiping her own hands off on a handkerchief she had pulled from her dress pocket. I looked at her for a moment, then noticed John leading the rest out, his hand bound in a towel. He looked dizzy and could hardly walk, his wife clearly holding him up to the best of her ability. She was telling him what a great job he'd done, and they both thanked me profusely. I stared at them all, the rest of the siblings and their spouses chatting away now as if they hadn't seen the whole thing, as if nothing had happened. They agreed John should go to the hospital casually, like it had been in question, and we all left the cemetery together, my eyes fixed on my feet, clutching my briefcase. The children were playing outside with one of their nannies, and I saw John and his wife's little boy, maybe five years old, laughing and spinning. His hands were up in the air, and I looked at them, his chubby little fingers, then at his father's bloody mess, and I wanted to disappear. Heaven hadn't smiled on a man's kindness after all. Heaven wasn't here at all. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. A Hand in Inheritance, written by Nick Egan, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Carl Hughes, and music by Tom Robson, with extra sound effects by zapsplat.com. Lastly, once again, I'd just like to remind you we have a brand new website. You don't have to go on it, but I can't promise that you will live throughout the rest of the day if you don't go on www.hawkandcleaver.com and check out all of our cool stuff. There you can find information about our other podcasts like Horror Hangout and Miscreation. You can check out our books and our comics, and you can stay in touch with what we're doing and what we're up to. You can do all that at www.hawkandcleaver.com. Once again, that's hawkandcleaver.com. Until next time.